0: We'd like to thank NOTA by m and Bank for their generous support of this podcast. To learn more, visit TrustNoda.com. Terms and conditions may apply.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Conrad Somm, and I'm the host for this episode, which is being recorded from the ABA Tech Show 2021. Joining me now, I have Jack Newton and Ed Walters. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Conrad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really good, um, and and a, an exceptionally well done ABA Tech Show. But before we get into that, and 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 I suspect of all the ABA speakers, you guys may need the smallest introduction. So give us the short elevator pitch for both of you. Give us a background. Go ahead, Ed.
0: Yeah, I'm Ed Walters. I'm uh, I'm the CEO of Fastcase, and I teach the law of autonomous vehicles at Cornell Law School uh, in the spring and
2: Georgetown Law in the fall. And I'm Jack Newton. I'm the CEO and founder of Clio and the author of the client-centered law firm.
1: All right. So you guys did a great job and really, really big picture conversation about the law and making people's lives better, both attorneys and clients. And and, and you actually started out with conversation around the Black Lives Matter movement and, and turned that into a very kind of tactical visionary perspective of, of what the law could do. Um, I want to lead this section off by starting with the last question I'm going to ask both of you so you can think about this while we move forward. And I I also want the audience to think about this is where we're going to get to. This is tech show. We're talking about technology and technology making the practice of law better for everyone involved in it. And yet many lawyers are very intimidated about being the person to lead that change within the organization. So the last question that we're going to come back around to is if you are the lawyer, and you have a question about your ability to lead technology, and it may be a very real concern that you, are you the right person to be doing this? I want you guys to give the recommendation to that person because I think that's the one question that really is the hardest thing for people to understand. But let's move uh, into some of the more tactical stuff. Um, You guys started talking about the net promoter score for the legal industry being at a 25 And uh, that's a really poor score. As you noted, it's similar to your wireless provider and airlines. Um, So just think about the general public liking lawyers as much as, you know, those two industries. So what I would like to know is most lawyers that I talk to think they're amazing. And there seems to be this massive um, gap between the perspective of law and how lawyers um, see themselves, which is normal, right? Everyone thinks they're better looking and taller than they actually are. Um, What do you guys think lawyers should do to kind of get that slap in the face to like set the reality that, you know what, you're not as great as you think you are from a being amazing customer service perspective?
2: Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take a run at that, Conrad. One of the questions I often ask an audience of lawyers when I'm giving this talk in person, and I missed not being able to do that today at Tech Show, was how many people have heard of NPS score, of Net Promoter Score, the audience? Um, and you'll you'll see out of an audience of maybe 500 people, five hands go up. And then I ask the question, who actually uses Net Promoter Score in the course of operating their law office? And four or maybe five of those five hands that went up will go down. And, and, right. and it's, it's just not something that, that lawyers use or are comfortable with, despite the fact that it provides you invaluable data on how you're actually doing with your clients. So I, I think it's you know it, it's a vul, vulnerable thing to ask your clients like what do you think of the job I did for you? Are you likely to recommend me to your to a friend or colleague? And it's getting comfortable around asking that, which I think is just inherently something many lawyers are not comfortable doing. That will give you the valuable insights on how you could drive change in your law firm and how you could be more client centered in your law firm. The most valuable part of the NPS survey, by the way. Is not the numeric score you'll get back from your customers, which is from a, a zero to a ten of how likely they are to recommend you, but it's the the free text field you offer below that where you ask why did you give me this score, and that is where you know I'll tell you at Clio for example we we read every single one of the NPS surveys we get back from our customers, and if there's a detractor we have a closed loop process where we'll follow up. And understand deeply why they're dissatisfied with Clio. And I think that same mentality applied to a law firm can drive t- tremendous change and give you the signal where you need to be driving that change.
1: So do you recommend having kind of, if you are the named lawyer, it's you know Mary Jones law firm, do you recommend Mary Jones kind of initiating that feedback loop? Or do you think someone third party should be doing that? How what's the best way to try and get the, you know, the meat of that question filled out?
2: Yeah, I think it's 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 Mary Jones. She may have her support staff help administer the uh, the survey, but I think what comes across most authentic to customers is not a customer research firm reaching out to them saying, you know, we want to analyze how well this law firm is doing, but to receive an actual survey from from Mary saying, I, I'd love to hear feedback on how I did on this on on the delivery of legal services to you and what you'd like to see me improve, and and that is something that, you know, I, I, there, there's a great example. Actually, pa- Patrick Pallas uh, has has been deploying NPS for years at his law firm and, and got his NPS from a, a not great place to a world-class, like world-class with the, the likes of Apple and Amazon with 70 plus NPS. Wow. Just by listening to customers and and iterating on the way they price and package and deliver their services, the way they keep clients up to date, up to speed, so it's a very actionable thing and a very a very tight feedback loop. You'll hear really quickly what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong.
1: And you're going to add something there. Oh,
0: just a thing and a half. So one thing I'll add is that this uh statistic is going to blow your mind. 50% of lawyers are below average. That's that's a true fact.
2: <laughs> Good one. But no, one, here's Ed. the
0: here's the problem, right? So um almost none of them know it. Right? right? And so how can you ever get better if you are below average and you don't know that you are, if you are in the 25th percentile, but you think you're in the 75th percentile? And so I, I think that the net promoter score is very important. We use it at Fastcase. We watch it very closely, just like at Clio. Like we read every single qualitative uh, thing that people say, in addition to following the quantitative information in net promoter scores. But I'll I'll just say also, I think it would make a huge difference speaking as a client, as someone who uses legal services, to have an exit interview, to have somebody say, Look, you've got your final bill. We're done with all the legal work. How do we do? How can we do better? And I, as a client, would be more likely to recommend that firm just because they asked, just because I know they care about it, just because I know they'll take that feedback and do something with it. So, in addition to that virtuous cycle, in addition to learning about where you are, learning that you need to make some changes, you also have the ability to really impact your clients, to make them actually more likely to refer you business just by asking.
1: Right. Let me ask another question on this. You mentioned iterative improvement, Jack. And I think one of the things that you guys touched on is if you make a 1% improvement for 365 days in a year, it has a massive, massive impact, and you can look for these little things to to make these iterative improvements. One of the things you talked about was changing the billing structure and getting less opaque with billing, and and that that came on early. But the other part was later on in the in the in the session, you actually showed the disparity between what lawyers worry about in terms of getting new business and what clients worry about, and the and the money was the really really big deal to prospective clients. Can you give some examples of clients really, I mean, beyond just like moving to a fixed pricing model, but clients really leaning into this clarity around billing?
0: Well, I can give an example from my own experience. So as a client, we had a litigation matter um, a couple of years ago, and there were a couple of firms who we turned to for these things. And I asked them all at the start, what's our likelihood of winning this? And how much is it going to cost? And some of the firms said it's going to cost six hundred thirty-five dollars times however many hours it takes us to finish the work.
1: <laughs> and some of the right. firms said, "Did Did you then ask them how many hours <laughs> it's going right. to take to finish the work?" Yeah,
0: that I can I can do that that kind of algebra, but we need to solve for x. Um, right. And, but there was uh, there was another firm that said, "Look, um, we don't we're not going to do fixed price, obviously, for a major piece of litigation." Uh, But we'll just tell you, we've done a bunch of these, right? We have way more information about these than you do. This is the first and only of these you'll handle. We handle, you know, dozens of them a year. And we'll just tell you in our experience, uh, the average is about X. Here's what the distribution curve looks like. Uh, Here's some more expensive ones. Yours doesn't have these facts. And so here's what you can expect based on our experience. And, you know, I, I read some of the comments from our session. People said, look, It's not always practical to do fixed fees for all engagements. And I don't think that's what Jack and I are talking about. I think we're just saying reduce some of the risk, increase the transparency, even if that's just saying, you know, here's what has happened in similar matters in the past. Um, And by the way, you know, if if you track your matters in Clio or if you just read the legal trends report, you can pull that kind of data out. If you use a service like Docket Alarm from Fastcase, you can have some of that quantitative information that you can share with clients as just a way of taking some of the risk out of it for them. So yes, I mean, as a client, I would love it if a firm said, you know, here is a fixed price for this engagement. You can budget for it and you know what it's going to cost. But shy of that, there's a lot of things that lawyers can do to help their clients understand what the risks are. To help them understand how much it's really gonna cost. So there's no sticker shock at the end. And I'll just tell you, corporate clients and family clients alike, like you know, that money's not fungible. You have to have it in the budget somewhere. It's gonna come out of something. And as a company, when I'm budgeting for 2022, I can't put 635 times X in the row for legal spend, right? I've got to put real numbers. And so- Yeah, I,
1: I think Excel barfs on it, that, right? It
0: blows that up pretty fast. And yeah. so, uh, you know, that's that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about making legal services easier for clients to buy by taking some of the risk out. It doesn't necessarily mean a fixed price for everything.
2: Just adding to that too, Ed, I, I think, you know, you it, it, making legal services more accessible and more affordable doesn't always make mean making them cheaper. And I th- I think this is one of the more important points we made and and you know the uh, there's simple tactical things like accepting credit cards realizing that your clients may not have the cash flow to pay for 100% of your fees up front allowing your clients to pay you via a payment plan where maybe instead of paying $500 up front which most Americans cannot afford to to uh, an unexpected $400 expense never mind a $500 expense uh, instead stage that out over five monthly payments of $100 these things help make legal services more accessible, they help make you more accessible, they help you tap into what otherwise might be that latent legal market. And so in the spirit of, of the, the aggregation marginal gains, you know, it's not always a, a boil the ocean, rethink your your business model in a fundamental way kind of change. Sometimes it is just a series of very tactical improvements that can drive in aggregate really significant outcomes and changes for your law firm.
1: So let me jump on that point. And this is I'm going to come back to the question that I posed at the very, very beginning. If you are trying to make this radical change, and it and it doesn't have to be radical change, a lot of people listening to this, I know this because I talk to them all the time, you guys talk to them all the time, look at themselves in the mirror and say, I am not the technical evangelist who is going to affect change. Like like all these speakers that I'm talking, there was a great speaker today talking about he's he's using Zapier to integrate this, and right? Then he's got 17 systems all, which is amazing because he was in the service and he's super smart and he can figure out how to put this together. I'm not that guy. Do I just give up? Right? How should I handle it when I look in the mirror and I realize I'm not that person?
2: There's a few layers. I'd, I'd tackle that question, Conrad. I, I think one is I really believe that what we should be thinking about first and foremost is how do we become more client-centered as a law firm? How can we make accessing our legal services more efficient and more effortless? How can we address the needs of that latent legal market, the 77% of the legal market that does not have its needs serviced by the legal industry and tap into that massive trillion dollar plus opportunity? I believe that's a mindset and an approach problem that is solved by being more client-centered. I think that in turn suggests tools and technologies that can really help law firms deliver services more efficiently, but it's the mindset that comes first. And then that will lead you naturally to some solutions, like maybe we should be using Zoom calls, or maybe we should be using client portals, or maybe we should be using electronic signatures. We should be using other tools to help make our Service delivery more efficient and more seamless and better for our clients, but it can be very easy to be intimidated by these these techno whizzes linking together, you know, different Zapier tools and other cloud-based tools. You know, the reality is that there's a, a number of very foundational, very incremental changes the average law firm can make to make themselves dramatically more client-centered and dramatically more successful. And again, don't look to boil the ocean. Look to a series of small changes you can make on a daily basis. And and again, you compound that over a year and you're 37 times better at the end of a year than you were at the beginning of it. And I think that's gotta be the mentality. And anyone can be that change agent. And I think the way that you equip yourself to be a successful change agent is not by arguing, look at this whiz bang technology that's cool. I think you become that change agent by arguing why this makes us a more client-centered law firm and how that will ultimately make you a more successful law firm.
1: So I'm going to leave the listeners with that number, 37% improvement. 37 times. Sorry, 37 times improvement by making 1% improvements day over day. So it 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 can be very intimidating to try and boil the ocean, but if you if you take this 1% at a time, it can have a massive massive impact. So we have unfortunately reached the end of the road for this episode. I would love to thank both Ed and Jack for joining. It's nice to reconnect with you guys after after a good while. This is as good as it can get from a virtual perspective. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.